Well, good morning, Lindsley. Good morning. This is the first for me, and the first for you, actually. <laughs> so glad to see you all here, especially my son David, came in from Columbia this morning. So, welcome all. Uh, before we get started with, with the lesson, could we bow for a short prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come together and study the book of Jonah. I pray, Lord, that, that my words will be a blessing to, to the folks hearing you here and virtually. And that you will bless us all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we'll talk about the book of Jonah. First, I want to think about, talk a little bit about the minor prophets. Jonah was one of 12 minor prophets. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because uh, if you think about minor prophets, you think maybe they're insignificant or not as important, uh, far from the truth. Um, uh, nor, nor are they less important, nor the, did they come along in a later date. Minor prophet could be equally important as a major prophet. Uh, the name minor seems to refer to the length of the book, but the major prophet's books were much larger. Uh, classification, this slide is it's not, in, not in your handout. Uh, classification of the minor prophets by historical periods. We won't go through all of this, but there are 12 of them. And you see in the Assyrian period, uh, Jonah's there along with Amos and Hosea and Micah and Zephaniah Nathan. Um, two of the minor prophets on the far side, Joel and Obadiah, uh, at least from some of the, the commentaries and research that I did, uh, the dates of their prophecy are uncertain. So what do we know about Jonah? Not much, really. His name means dove. His story progresses from dry land to the sea, back to dry land. The book contains 48 verses, not a long book, regarding questions such as who wrote it, under what circumstances, uh, and of course, the brother Gene Wright questions of who, when, where, and why. We just don't know. Jonah prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeboboam, uh, a time of great prosperity uh, in Israel, but a time of moral and spiritual collapse from the sin of idolatry. We know that both Hosea and Amos also denounced the idolatry and the wickedness of the rulers and the people of Israel. Jonah also, Jonah also preached in the city of Nineveh, which is where our story takes place for the most part. Uh, he preached to the Ninevites who were enemies of Israel uh, and noted for their cruel and warlike ways. Well, this is interesting though. The Lord considered Jonah a historic person and compared him to Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection. In Matthew 12, 39 and 40, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. 
And there shall be no sign given to it except the sign of the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, as so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Compared to other minor prophets, Jonah is the only one in which miracles played an important part. He's the only one whose major activity was on a foreign soil in Nineveh, and the only one who preaches exclusively to foreign people. He's the only minor prophet mentioned by Jesus and the only, in the Old Testament prophet likened by the Lord to himself. The book of Jonah includes four distinct sections. Jonah's flight from God, his prayer of thanksgiving from, from the fish, his preaching in Nineveh, and the anger of God's mercy. And that's, that's a little... You gotta think about that. It kind of set me back. Who could be angry at God's mercy? Jonah was. We'll talk about that. Within these four sections are four miracles the storm, the calm, the fish, and the gourd. So here we go. In Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. And the world of Jonah came to the word of Jehovah came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah, though, rose up to flee after hearing that, to flee to tarnish from the presence of Jehovah. And he went down to Joppa, and he found the ship going to Tarish, he paid his fare and went down into the bottom of the ship. And Tarish was uh, the farthest away from the sight of Jehovah by sea. The Lord commanded Jonah, the Lord's, the Lord's command, Jonah fled to Joppa and boarded the ship to Tarish the furthest known distance from Palestine. So uh, therein his troubles begin. So lesson number one is, uh, you can't hide from God. Why would you even try to hide from God? That's never a good option. Why would Jonah flee then? Flee God's command to go to Nineveh. Was he afraid because of the warlike ways of the Ninevites? Was it his hatred of the Ninevites for whose hands Israel had been destroyed or suffered greatly? Or was it the bitterness brought over by the exile and the sufferings experienced by the Jews returning from Babylon in the hands of foreign powers? Or was it all of the above? Aboard the boat. So while Jonah was sleeping, a storm set in. We all know the story. It was a frightening storm, and it frightened the sailors. The sailors were non-believers, which didn't help calm the waters for sure. God spoke to Jonah through the heathen sailors, and he said, Then the men were afraid with a great fear. 
And they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from Jehovah because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you and that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea was going on and on and thrashing and raging. And Jonah said to them, Take me up, throw me over into the sea. Wow. And the sea shall come to you. And I know that this great storm has come on you for my sake. Now it says, is this the best idea Jonah could have had at the time? No. Actually. Uh, so they cried out to Jehovah and said, We beg you, O Jehovah, we beg you, let us not perish for this man's life. Do not lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Jehovah, have done, have done as it pleased you. And they lifted Jonah up threw him out into the raging sea. And guess what? The sea ceased to be raging and the sea calmed. Then though, the men feared God and offered a sacrifice to Jehovah. So were the heathen men then converted because of this, uh, this uh, uh, incident? But we talked about a better plan already. And this is just my thought and Max thought. Perhaps a better plan would have been for Jonah to repent of his sins and before to God and not going to not following his instructions to go to Nineveh. Ask God's forgiveness and mercy. So, what happened to Jonah after he was tossed into the raging sea? Well, the fish looks happy. Jonah, not so much. He was swallowed by the great fish. Went into the belly of the great fish. Comments about the fish. Or commentaries about the fish. So, you can read several commentaries and get different opinions on this whole idea of a fish. The fish is discussed and rediscussed in many commentaries. Some advocate that the fish story is not to be taken literally, but is meant to be a way to get Jonah back to his assigned task of prophesying in Nineveh. Other commentaries, though, notes that this was a fish prepared by God and designated by God. But to debate over whether a fish or even a whale would swallow and then regurgitate a man is really pointless, in my opinion. Jesus didn't question the history of the miracle, so why should we? But Jonah escapes from the fish. He prayed to Jehovah. His escape came only after praying. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. And my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. I will never worship anyone but you. For how can I thank you? And how can I thank you enough for all you have done? I will surely fulfill my promises. 
for the deliverance comes from the Lord alone. And the Lord looked, uh, ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. How many times then do we turn to God only as a last resort, not as a first resort? I'm guilty of that for many times. But all else else, turn to God. He will be there. So, Jonah then goes to Nineveh. He's going to preach there. Nineveh was a large city, one of the leading Assyrian Empire, one of the uh, leading cities of the Assyrian Empire. It was built near the Tigris River, near the Kosher River, running through it. There was great wealth there, but also armies that were greatly feared. You can understand Jonah's reluctance to go there. It was the wicked people of Nineveh, those that were known for their violence, showing no mercy on their enemies. That's where God sent Jonah to preach. But he did preach there. An eight-word sermon. You listen to it right? Eight-word sermon. So he said, he preached in Nineveh, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his sermon. But his sermon was very, very effective. So, after preaching only one message to the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, even the king, who came down from his throne and took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes to demonstrate their repentance. Now God, seeing that they had stopped their evil ways, abandoned his plan to destroy them, which left Jonah in an agitated state. Since he had told the people that Nineveh would be destroyed, Remember, the Ninevites were considered enemies and very evil people. So this is where Jonah's anger at God's, at God's mercy really comes to play. That's a duplicate slide. So, uh, let's take a little break and think about, well, not really a break, but uh, digress a bit. To think about these questions. Are people without Christ truly lost? Do we have passion for those who are lost? How, how is our compassion shown? Is there compassion for those living amongst so much sin and not being ministered to? Do we pray that the gospel will reach these people in every part of the world, even in our own neighborhood, and are we helping to send it there? We are here at Lindsay, very much so. And do we always rejoice when sinners repent and trust God? So Jonah is sulky. He's upset. He went away to the east side of the city where he made a shelter set up a bit waiting to see what would happen to the Ninevites. 
While Jonah was pouting, though, God provided a vine or gourd to provide some shade for, for Jonah. But the next day, God provided a worm which ate the vine, and Jonah was left in the heat and the, the bitter east wind of the desert. Well, he was even more angry now than before. He wanted to die. The Lord said, You feel sorry for yourself when your shelter is destroyed, though you didn't know where to put it there. And it is at best short-lived. And why shouldn't I feel, for, uh, feel sorry for a great city of Nineveh with 120,000 people in utter spiritual darkness? Uh, as an aside, some commentaries provide, uh, portray Jonah uh, similar <coughs> to the prodigal son, uh, but more importantly, or, or more directly, to the brother of the prodigal son, his elder brother, who was critical, selfish, angry, and unhappy when his brother came back home. But this, this is the most important lesson of this book, in my opinion. The acceptance of God's mercy and the will to follow His commandments must come from the heart. It must be in us, in the Spirit of God. A couple of takeaways. God is willing and anxious to save even the heathen nations. Excuse me. Such as Nineveh, if they repent. Jehovah is one universal God, the God of the whole earth. He is the one and only God to whom the heathen must return. God's love and his desire to save everyone is evidence by his forgiveness of the Ninevites. The book of Jonah, like the book of Nahum, ends with questions dealing with the city of Nineveh. Nahum ends with a question about God's punishment of Nineveh. Jonah ends with a question about God's pity for Nineveh. If the real issue is much about <coughs> how Jonah answered God's questions. Isn't it more about how you and I answer God's <clears throat> questions? How you and I answer his callings? Are we prepared to give God the right answer? Are we prepared to accept the will of God through repentance and baptism? Or, if we're Christians, but have strayed in their thoughts and actions or questioned the will of God like Jonah did when things didn't go our way. Isn't it time for us to recommit our life to our heavenly Savior and minister to those in need? If you're here today and you have need for prayer, if you're here today and you feel the need to 
commit your life to our Savior. Come, come down as we uh, as we stand and sing. <laughs>